0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, January 21st. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, we ask the Mayor for clarification on this week's announcement that city councillors are going to have access to up to $8,000 for installation of alarm systems for their personal residences and up to $100 a month for monitoring, a price tag that a lot of taxpayers have an issue with.
1: Next, it's no secret that the hotel industry has been hit hard during the pandemic. We catch up with Saul Zia from the Calgary Hotel Association on what the struggling industry needs right now and what he'd like to see in the form of support from the City of Calgary.
0: Then we head stateside for our weekly check-in with Jackson Prosko, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. This week, we're looking back at President Joe Biden's one-year anniversary in office and the latest on the ongoing battle against COVID-19.
1: And finally, the Paralympic Games kick off on March 4th in Beijing. Our sports guru, Dave McIver, had the chance to meet a promising athlete representing Canada in the sport of sledge hockey and hear his story about his journey to the Paralympic stage.
0: 10 now on your Friday morning and after recent protests at the homes of Councillor Carra and Mayor Gondek, on Wednesday, Council voted in favour of reimbursing costs of security systems to ensure the safety of City Council members. With details on this and all the news coming out of City Hall, we are joined as we are every week by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This is the the latest hot topic. At least we're leaving the event center behind. Um, But we can talk about this one today because we've had lots of feedback from listeners. Uh, You know, I think we can all agree it's important to ensure the safety of our politicians, especially in this day and age. But doesn't the amount, $8,000 per counselor seem out of touch when you hear what the average person pays for their system? It's got people a little upset, the dollar amount, I think.
2: Yeah, and I think I need to provide some clarity around what was voted on and what happened. And um, this is something that we need to own as a corporation for not communicating this better to Calgarians. Um, But it was an urgent matter because there was safety concerns that were flagged. And we don't want members of council to go through what I went through and what Councillor Craw went through. So let me clarify. The maximum amount is $8,000 for the equipment and the installation that doesn't mean that every home will require that i should also make it very clear this is optional council members do not just get this pot of money this is something that they can expense if they need to i can tell you as an example when i started in 2017 you have the opportunity to get corporate security to come to your home to see how safe and secure it is following that assessment on my own dime i did improve my security system so i don't need to access these funds because I have something in place. The other thing I think I need to clarify for people is that council members used to be able to expense home security through their ward budget in the past. What we did in May of last year is eliminated that council committee where council members were overseeing each each other's expenses. I actually led the notice of motion on that, disbanded that committee, kicked all council expenses over to administration for review. And one of the things that came out was that security systems needed to be reviewed more carefully to see if it should be part of council compensation instead of expenses. So until we get to budget in November, this is a temporary option for councillors to access. I hope that helps.
1: Yeah, there's more clarity. I'm just wondering when it was part of the expenses, was the, uh, you know, Top edge, $8,000 for a home security system back then, do you recall?
2: You know what? I would imagine there's people doing research into that. I have not had the time to go and dig through people's expense accounts, but um, I am committed to making sure that people understand, you know, what the average cost was and what it was that used to be expensed. We will dig into that and find that.
0: And so those who do choose to access any or all of that money, where does that money actually come from?
2: There is a corporate account that will be paying for this until November. In November, when we do our budget deliberations, we will build it into budget. But prior to that, I want to take advantage of something that Councillor McLean has brought up on council compensation. I'd be very interested in working with him to bring a motion where we invite the council compensation committee back to look at our entire package and to make sure that a third party is doing the research and weighing in on what should and should not be included as part of our compensation. I think that would be an objective way to move forward. Mm -hmm.
1: All right, let's move along and talk about $3 million announced Wednesday from the feds to support an energy transition center in downtown Calgary, aimed at building entrepreneurship capacity and obviously to grow Alberta's clean tech companies. How long was this in the works and what can we expect from it, Mayor?
2: Well, this summer we had an announcement from Avatar Innovations that we're looking to create a energy transition center in downtown. They had identified the Ampersand building on 4th as being an ideal location for this. And it was really that private sector company that brought together many of our oil and gas um, corporations to invest in that project. Um, And it's Kevin Kraussert from Avatar who really has built relationships with so many different global organizations and invited them to come here and see what we're doing. So this investment from the federal government follows on the work that the private sector has been leading and it's important to recognize that when you consider the amount of time that is put in by business to invite granting opportunities from federal provincial and local governments that's an incredible partnership and
0: uh, just great news for the city all around for sure um, sort of related but but not I suppose uh, downtown office towers still sitting empty mayor any update on anything that's going on in terms of
2: you know how we we get those remotely filled again? Yeah, you know, a couple of things to note. Neo Financial made a big announcement that they are taking up some space in the historic Hudson's Bay building, as well as some space in the Edison, which is uh, a property that was refurbished fairly recently. So that's indicative of the tech sector's desire to be located in our city. And I think as we continue to see investment in tech and innovation, and you see statistics like the fact that 51% of clean tech startups are first-time founders, 28% of them are people that were born outside this country, and 21% are female. That's diversity in our economy in action. So you will continue to see companies like this come here and take up space. Um, I'm pretty optimistic about it, as are the people at Economic Development.
1: Mayor, uh, we've got to take a quick break for traffic. Can you spend two more minutes with us?
2: I can indeed.
1: Okay.
0: Mayor Jody Gondek on this Friday morning. Thank you for hanging around with us, Mayor. Appreciate it. Um, We spoke earlier this morning with Saul Zia, who is the executive director of the Calgary Hotel Association. He was talking about the lost revenue in that industry to the tune of $450 million. And he said they're appealing to the city for what he called sort of best scenario is to not pay any taxes for the next few months. They're in such dire straits. But even Band-Aids would help. So you've heard from them, I'm assuming. and Is that sort of an ongoing discussion then of what you can do to help the Hotel Association through the last of this pandemic?
2: It's absolutely been an ongoing discussion. In fact, it started before the pandemic because members of council um, were not always clear on how property taxes are assessed for the hospitality industry. And when it comes to hotels, it's not just the assessed value. It's also based on revenue. So the assumptions that are made in a pandemic environment about their revenue combined with the value of their properties is something that needs to be taken quite seriously and reviewed for the times that we're in, and we're committed to working with them on making sure that they get the best possible outcome. Any
1: initial ideas, uh, Madam Mayor? Because, you know, even Saul Zia from the Hotel Association had said he understands that the city has to make ends meet as well. It just, you know, sounds like kind of a Hail Mary pass at this point.
2: Well, Saul is an incredible advocate for that sector, and I can tell you he's an incredibly compassionate and reasonable person so he's ideally their best representative and uh, I know that our administration has been having conversations with him to see what exactly we can do so stay tuned Um, the conversations have begun and we will do the best we can. Mayor, on a much lighter note, this being Friday,
0: but a day sort of yesterday, we heard some news that we lost singer Meatloaf at the age of 74. You heard the music coming into both of our breaks with you. Do you remember listening to him? Because I think for most of our listeners, it's it's kind of like losing him is losing a, a bit of, you know, that, that soundtrack of our, our lives growing up.
2: It is. And I remember listening to KY58 in Winnipeg, and, you know, Paradise by the Dashboard Light was the big song. But I think my favorite was he took the words right out of my mouth. Um, you know, there's he's just iconic. Mm-hmm. And when the video came out for um, I Would Do Anything for Love, holy moly, I think that just knocked us all off our feet. <laughs> That's he's really, epic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Still incredible. to this day. We all have yeah. our memories for sure. Uh, thank you uh, so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it and, and have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. That is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. And it does sound like it's in the early stages. And, and it was very, it was. Fortunate for the timing this morning, how we had Saul Zia on from the Hotel Association mm-hmm. last hour and then to follow up with the mayor. And I really did get the sense, no, I don't want to say desperation, but Saul's saying, we just need some, really. We need help. some help. As he
0: said, a band aid, right? Yeah, even the band-aid. little band aids will help.
1: You and I, we did. We did a staycation um, you know, uh, about a month ago, uh, me and the toddlers and, and my wife, and it was kind of ghost townish. And it's been it's, a rough, rough ride for the hotel industry. The staff is there. The staff is—they have smiles on. They're—they're they're giving you know the if service they're not being expect. laid off and brought yeah, back
0: yeah. because that's part, been part of the problem too.
1: There are also if you if you hop online, it's it, it's I'm sure they'd like to up their rates. Although in Calgary, if you've ever noticed, if you ever want to staycation weekends, you can usually get a pretty good rate in some of the hotels because it's such a business based particularly the downtown sure. hotels, uh, business based city that you can snap up some deals. So if you need to change the scenery and you got a few extra bucks, mm, go and support those hotels.
0: Good idea for sure. Hey, uh, just to go back to something else that we chatted with the mayor about with the alarm system, still getting lots of texts in from people who just kind of can't wrap their head around the whole thing. And Jason says, I don't understand how an alarm on the house prevents protesters in the yard. And it's not about the protesters in the yard. It's about keeping those protesters in the yard, in the yard and outside of the homes of councillors and the mayor. So that is the concept is to make sure that, you know, not one of those people decides that they're going to go in. In the house, and that's the fear for a lot of people, and, and understandably so. I think it's just again, it's the dollar amount that has people kind of raising their eyebrows. But the mayor tried to explain that a little
1: bit. I could change it down mm-hmm. the line. Sandy says, "I pay thirty nine ninety five for my monitored security system. The equipment was free, and the install was one hundred eighty nine dollars." Yeah, council is being outrageous, and uh, she calls it self indulgence.
0: Well, we'll see if they uh, sort of uh, amend those numbers moving forward. Um, but I think we can all agree that they should all be kept safe for sure, and people need to just stay off their property.
1: Nineteen Mornings with Sue and Andy, Sue L and Andrew Schultz with you on a Friday morning. It's no secret that the hotel industry has been hit hard during the pandemic and without tourism dollars coming in this winter as they normally would be, the Calgary Hotel Association is asking the city for help. With details on their plea to city council, we are joined by Sol Zia, Executive Director of the Calgary Hotel Association. Good morning to you, Sol. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us, and uh, you know this is a real tough time, and we appreciate updates from you. Uh, the latest uh, you're going, uh, you and the organization going to put something forward to the city. What would you like to see, and what is needed uh, for the industry right now?
3: Well, Andy, a couple of weeks ago, you and I spoke uh, when the Alberta government had uh, abated the Alberta tourism levy. So beyond that, but even even if you go back a few weeks, um, Omicron had really only just. Set in, And I think that was before the U.S. government said Americans don't travel to Canada. And um, for myself and those who know a lot about travel into business travel into Calgary, mm-hmm. we rely on American travel, folks coming up from Houston, oil and gas, uh, leisure travelers, friends and family. So the double whammy, the Omicron variant, uh, the impact of the U.S. government statements don't come, to don't come here, uh, along with what was already slow. Um those who 've stayed in hotels the past few weeks and over Christmas and in January know that they 're basically empty buildings uh, and the double whammy of omicron um, and the government statements just led us to a point where the hotels have uh, many are just completely out of cash uh, so we 've appealed to all levels of government for some relief just so that we can survive um, pay you know pay the paychecks to employees, cover the basic costs of carrying the business until the recovery starts hopefully this summer.
0: How much would you say a revenue has been lost for Calgary hotels over the past couple of years Saul?
3: It's coming close to half a billion so in 2020 before COVID the hotels were projected to generate about 330 million in revenue back into the city for 2021. It was close to 400 million we had new we have new hotels that that are opening um two of those have been delayed it would have been close to so 750 million should have been generated Uh, and i know that's all that's been generated for the hotels through business the past two years is well as well under 200 million so the, the math is relatively easy
1: so, we, we uh, you know, we want to bring it back to City Council. What are you hoping for and what sort of relief could the, the city provide that would, you know, uh, help these hotels that are struggling?
3: Well, we've appealed for a lot, but we'd be happy to settle for something. Uh, I spoke to the mayor's office yesterday, and I know you're speaking with the mayor later today, uh, and we're at the point where even Band-Aids help. Um, you know, a cure would be to let us not pay, the hotels pay anything for the next few months. But we realize that you know the city can only generate so much money and cover so many losses as well. So, as I said to the mayor's office yesterday, even Band-Aids will help. Uh, we are willing to talk about anything to, to relieve those hotels who simply have empty bank accounts um, and aren't able to pay their basic costs for, for running their businesses. Well, we'll
0: certainly be discussing that with the mayor when we do chat with her just after 8. Saul, thank you so much for updating us, and uh, we'll keep on this story, and we'll keep talking to you about it. Appreciate your time.
3: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You too. Saul Zia, Executive Director of the Calgary Hotel Association. into the january 6th riots continues joe biden celebrating one year as commander-in-chief and a covid anniversary with all the details on the news making headlines in the united states we're joined this morning by global news washington bureau chief jackson Prosco. good morning jackson happy friday
4: good morning happy friday
0: so two years ago today january 21st 2019 cdc confirming the first u.s coronavirus case and two years later Death toll at around $880,000, so a pretty tragic anniversary. And yet, Jackson, Americans still divided about the virus and the vaccine, aren't they?
4: Yeah, they really are. You know, it is remarkable, I think, that we're in this place all these years later, even with life-saving vaccines in place, that we're still seeing more than 2,000 people die every single day in this country. Deaths that are now completely preventable at this point. And yet, you're right, there's no political consensus, there's no individual consensus about how to respond to the pandemic and the fact that, This virus isn't going away anytime soon. We're watching countries and
1: regions across the globe, Jackson, and uh, hearing actually in in Alberta yesterday from Premier Jason Kenney that he and the team at AHS uh, believe that we perhaps have peaked and are moving to the other side of Omicron. Uh, What is Omicron doing in the U.S., and uh, can you see that peak anytime soon?
4: Yeah, same thing here, where it feels like cases have peaked. That doesn't mean, of course, that hospitals aren't overwhelmed in many, many places, because, of course, we know this hasn't rolled out uniformly. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that cases are perhaps on the downswing. uh, But as I mentioned, you know, still more than 2,000 deaths uh, every single day in this country. Uh, And and really, there's a sense that, uh, you know, maybe we'll see a lull heading into the spring. But what comes next is an open question.
0: Jackson, let's switch gears a little bit. Talk the tensions between Russia and the Ukraine still extremely Hi, the U.S. on board, Canada also helping out. But what do you think the U.S. is prepared to do should Russia actually invade?
4: You know, this is a very good question. And I think President Biden in his end of year news conference actually opened the door to the fact that perhaps there's a little more uncertainty than you might assume at this point when he suggested that uh, effectively NATO allies are sort of divided over how to respond to perhaps a smaller incursion by the Russians as opposed to a full blown invasion. Uh, so I think it is a bit of an open question. That said, Biden has made it perfectly clear that the U.S. will respond with force. Uh, and by force, I mean economic force that they've talked about crippling economic sanctions that would effectively cut russia off from the global financial sector and made it clear that essentially russian businesses that do business in dollars or euros would be unable to conduct any business whatsoever if they proceed with any incursion into ukraine
1: all right on the topic of president joe biden been in office it's hard to believe time is flying for one year Uh, where is his approval rating right now and uh, what stands out after his first year kind of what, what do you see as his report card being jackson
4: You know, we used to talk about how Donald Trump was historically unpopular, how his approval rating could never really rise above sort of the the low 40 percent mark. Well, that's where Joe Biden is today. He has plummeted in his first year in office in his approval rating. 68 percent of Americans say that they feel the country is currently headed in the wrong direction. And really, it's kind of a culmination of things that are under Biden's control and things that are out of his control. So the raging pandemic, which Biden promised to bring under control, is one example of one of those factors that's really hurting him and his approval marks for handling the pandemic have really suffered here recently. Uh, but of course, Biden, uh, in his end of year news conference, pointed out that, look, Republicans are obstructing every single piece of his agenda and are very open about the fact that their goal is nothing more than to obstruct his agenda. And he said he's sort of going to retool and refocus in the year ahead and essentially pose the question to the American people of what do Republicans actually stand for? Put them on the spot and get them to justify that. That said, even pieces of Biden's agenda that in theory he should have the votes to pass like voting rights reform, uh, like the Build Back Better legislation ending the filibuster, he can't get it done because there are at least two Democratic senators who he would need who are in opposition to that. So he's really sort of being hurt from all angles here. At the end of the day, I think it is not the sort of competent leadership that Americans thought they were going to get. But again, culmination of factors uh, resulting in why Biden is where he is today.
0: So, I mean, let's face it, uh, Trump was controversial, divisive. Biden just seems that he he can't managed to get anything accomplished is there any hope for him in his numbers to to be better and for him to do any better and and to please americans
4: stuck in the mud is kind of the best analogy here, right? Uh, You know, I think the thing when it comes to turning things around for Biden will be demonstrating competent leadership and that's not to say that he's been incompetent in office, it's just that's the perception of the American people and one thing uh, on the pandemic front that they've tried to retool and recalibrate just in the past week here is something that's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty popular and easy to understand and that is mailing out 1 billion at-home rapid test kits to every house in the country and 400 million N95 masks and those are really simple deliverables the kind of things that most of biden's own advisors admit he probably should have done months and months ago as a symbol of government leadership of getting the pandemic under control and of bringing americans on board with his agenda
1: jackson we are hearing that the supreme court will allow the release of the trump documents to the january 6th panel what comes next in this ongoing investigation where where do we go from here
4: you know, it depends which investigation you're talking mm-hmm. about because there are so many of them concurrently right now, right? The January 6th committee, uh, in the, in the, uh, in Congress that's, uh, requested these documents that are now being released through the National Archives, uh, has just yesterday asked for testimony from Ivanka Trump. They aren't give, issuing a subpoena at this point. They're asking for voluntary t- testimony, but that's because Liz Cheney, who sits on that committee, has already v- revealed that they have other first-person testimony that suggests that Ivanka Trump pleaded with her father while the Capitol was being repeatedly to do something, to intervene, to call off the mobs, so they really want to hear from her. Then there's the uh, secondary investigation underway in the state of Georgia over that phone call that Trump made to Georgia's governor and secretary of state, asking them to find the exact number of votes that he would need to win the state. We know that a special grand jury has now been convened in that investigation. And then there's New York State, where New York's attorney general revealed this week that uh, she believes she has evidence of substantial business fraud at the Trump organization in terms of influence the value of uh, assets owned by the Trump organization, so that's running concurrently as well.
0: Oh, so much going on there, and all surrounding Donald Trump yet again. Um, I want to talk to you. We hear a lot about these voting restrictions. What exactly are they? What, what What's the What are the Republicans trying to do? What are the Democrats trying to do? And what's the end result for Americans?
4: Yeah, remember that elections, even federally, are administered at the state level. And essentially what's happening is state by state, where Republicans have power, they are making it more difficult for people to vote. They are enacting tougher voter ID laws. They're doing things like eliminating drop boxes for mail-in ballots or eliminating mail-in ballots what's all altogether. Uh, In some counties in Georgia, they've closed all but one polling station. For example, typically these measures have an outsized impact on minority voters, communities of color, and communities that tend to vote for Democrats. That's the play here. The legislation that they're trying to pass here in Washington would establish essentially some national standards for how elections could be conducted to make sure that everyone has access to voting. Uh, But that's the piece of legislation that died on the table this week. So, you know, it it sort of seems like a precarious situation. I think if Democrats have one piece of hope here is you might remember uh, back in 2020, how restrictive these voting measures were that were put in place in that state. Yet they didn't stop Democrats from winning the state and winning the Senate runoff election and picking up both senate seats there they just had to turn out in huge numbers to do it
1: jackson you covered a lot of ground this morning thank you so much for your time and have a great weekend have a great weekend jackson Prosco, washington bureau chief for global news the olympic games are approaching fast which means the paralympics will be right around the corner as well our on air com- contributor Dave McIver had the chance to speak with a member of Team Canada's sledge hockey team who is making his debut. They talked about his journey to the Paralympic stage.
5: On Friday, March 4th, Team Canada sledge hockey will begin its quest to win a gold medal at the Paralympic Games in Beijing. Cody Dolan wears number 17 for the team. He's a defenseman, and I wanted to get to know his story and find out how the team's shaping up heading into the games. First, Cody told me a little bit about him.
6: I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 12, and um, as a result, had my right leg uh, amputated. Um, so certainly through, through the remaining of my childhood, I kind of missed out on, on school sports or really the ability to do anything um, extracurricular. Um, I think a lot of it was mentally too and and just not really having a a network of adaptive sports in the small town that I grew up in, uh, which is Didsbury, Alberta. Um, So ended up moving back to Calgary uh, for university.
5: In that first year of university, I guess you could say Cody was a bit of a late bloomer. He found sledge hockey, having not played the sport before.
6: You know, the books were great and the lectures and the classes it was what it was but i I, I wanted more fulfillment out um in the community and and doing some sport and stuff so i uh quickly researched one summer day um adaptive sports in calgary and, and found sledge hockey was was an option obviously given some family members um hockey kind of fits in in well um i do have a cousin. Jared Anderson Dolan, who plays with LA Kings, um, and my aunt, uh, Frances Dolan, uh, played pretty high-level competitive women's hockey in in Calgary as well. So um, I've always liked the game, um, but never once skated in my life prior to that. So I just went out and I checked it out. This was when I was um, 18. Um, Just went out one practice and I was terrible. It was embarrassing, (laughs) Um, but knew kind of if I or stuck with it and, and put on some some work in the gym and went to all the ice times I could and uh, was resourceful. I knew I could make something out of it. Let's put it this way. One of my teammates right now is exactly the same age as I was when I first started. And he's been playing really as uh, longer than I have. Like he started when he was like 10 um, and he's 19 now. Um, and then I have some teammates who are like 40 who started when they were you know, teenagers too. So yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. And sorry, not 40, like mid-30s. <laughs> sorry, guys.
5: <laughs> it didn't take long for Cody to find his way. Soon he was playing for Team Alberta and on his journey to the national team.
6: So I was going to Team Alberta through a local identification camp um, several years ago now um, and spent three years with the program winning uh, three consecutive uh, national championships at the, the provincial level. Um, on a team led by uh, Steve Arsenault, who used to actually play for for the men's team. Um, on my third year there, I, I was invited out to a development camp um, called the Defee Sportif. It's out in Montreal, um, and we play like a, a two or three game series with the U.S. Um, obviously, my I guess my work there and, and through the provincial level too. Uh, was sought out by our head coach now, Ken Babbie at the time, and um, eventually was able to secure a, a tryout opportunity with the national team in 2018, um, or sorry, 2017. Uh, didn't actually make the team that year, uh, which was no surprise, really, because it was my first time being uh, at such a high level. Uh, with such great players Uh, so it's a a lot to learn Uh, certainly a different pace of play compared to the provincial level Um, worked hard through that summer uh, and again was invited to, to try out in the fall of 2018 and I ended up making the team there
5: after a three-year journey and a position change from forward to defense Cody was selected to represent Canada at the Beijing Olympics not only is there excitement But there's the people who helped him along the way.
6: It's surreal Um, When I really think about it I've been playing seven years now four of which have been you know truly working for um, The next six weeks uh, six to eight weeks. So um, it's crazy to think that you know all the hours I put into the gym and uh, the miles I put on to the, to the car and um, the coffee that I drank driving to the rink and really everybody who supported me along the way, um, whether that be my immediate family, um, my mom's step brother, um, and at the time my girlfriend then my fiancé and now my wife uh, who's been able to support me for, for many years now. So, um, you know, personally, you know, for myself it's exciting, but I think it's also exciting to know, um, you know, I'm going to make those people proud. Um, and I'm really going to prove to them that all their efforts and all their personal sacrifices to help me get where I am today, um, you know, were worth it, were, uh, you know, all the hours they put in to help me on uh, the financial costs, uh, the mental support, um, et cetera. Like, I mean, it's always been worth it, um, but I think a gold medal around your neck after the Paralympic screams uh, value.
5: The gold medal is the obvious goal for Cody and the team, but personally, there's more that goes into it.
6: You know, I just want to make an, uh, not necessarily a name for myself, but I just want to go out uh, with all the opportunities I get, uh, whatever ice time that might be, and um, and just prove to myself that I I, I earned the chance to be there. Um, that I earned the chance to represent really the country uh, the country of Canada Um, you know I I do want to win gold no doubt but um, every little step along that way um, the losses, the wins the uh, tight games the penalties, the big hits like all of that is also exciting Um, so I think my personal goal is just to enjoy it uh, especially when there's so much distractions these days um with covid with political affiliations with china with um you know everything there's so much in the background that just screams uh no like you can't do this no it's too much but uh you just got to be able to to push through that and kind of internalize some of that and, and just go out and play um play the game you love and have fun after
5: a 2-1 loss in overtime in the gold medal game in the 2018 games to the u.s they obviously are looking like the team that canada will have a big rivalry with but surprise surprise cody says look out for the russians as well the paralympic games will begin on friday march 4th and end on sunday march 13th for 770 chqr i'm dave McIver incredible story and you have mm. a kind of a personal connection
0: yeah his aunt Fran Anderson Dolan who he was referring to in the story is a friend of mine she was a very high level hockey player her son as he mentioned Jarrett Anderson Dolan yeah the Calgary kid who is now playing in the NHL so great family connection but he played started as Dave you know discovered when he was speaking to Cody that he didn't start playing hockey or skating till much l- later in life so the fact that he is you know good enough to be on the sledge hockey team going to the Olympics is just an awesome story lost his leg uh, his lower leg at the age of 12 to cancer and you know it wasn't really in his wheelhouse he didn't think That's and now look at adam adam it's an amazing an story
1: Olympia, paralympics uh, yep. and i can't believe it's march 4th coming it comes up so quickly yeah so yep it's, here it's, we go you
0: were mentioning that march 4th so that is a, a month a full later month after yeah. the uh, isn't
1: it i thought it would just quicker? be a couple weeks but um you know a week or two after i guess it is a couple weeks if you go 10 days and I suppose, then some of yeah the, yeah i suppose it is But no nevertheless uh, keep your eyes on it and uh, Cheer on the Canadians of our Paralympic team. That Watch for Cody Dolan. There it is. Remember the name for sure. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
0: Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.
1: And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.